The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. My name is Chris Steinbarger. I'm the director of church life here at Jacob's Well. And although yesterday was a sad day because the Packers lost, it was also a happy day because Craig and Aaron got married, and that's really exciting. So I haven't seen them here. I'm guessing they are off enjoying a honeymoon. But when you see them again, congratulate them. And Pastor Dan had the privilege of marrying them, and so that's what he was doing yesterday. And so here I am, and I get to preach to you guys on this Sunday. My sophomore year of college, I received a very difficult phone call. I'm sure that you guys have received hard phone calls before in the past. And it was on this particular day that my dad called me, and he called me and told me that my grandfather had been diagnosed with cancer. And when I got that news, it was, it was really hard to take in. It was almost like getting punched in the gut, because all of a sudden there was this unexpected surprise, a bad surprise. And I really didn't know how to react. I remember after receiving that phone call as I was walking to class that day, it felt as if I was in a daze. I mean, there was people walking around me on either side, and and I wasn't really paying attention to anything. And all of my thoughts just really went inward. And I started asking questions, dealing with all of the uncertainties that I was feeling. Questions such as, what was going to happen? I mean, how long would he live? Would it be weeks? Months? Years? All of a sudden, questions that had never occurred to me, such as, was he going to see me graduate? Would he be there when I got married? What was my life going to look like without my grandfather? Questions that I had never asked before were suddenly creeping into my mind. And, and as I wrestled with that, it was really hard. He passed away a couple of years later, And towards the end of that journey, um, when the outcome was actually very certain and we knew exactly what was going to happen, the interesting thing was that we actually felt a little bit better. Sad, but we had a peace because we knew what was going to happen. It was the uncertainty, the questions. Those were the things that really shook us up. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Those moments in life when the unknown just jumps out and it shocks and it paralyzes you. If you haven't experienced something like that before, then uh, you probably haven't been around very long. It will happen. Uncertainty can be this powerful agent of fear and terror in our lives. It terrifies us and it can actually rob us of our joy. Now, as as we look to the scriptures, um, one of the the most negative images, one of the most negative pictures that is used in Hebrew poetry is actually the imagery of the sea, and I'm referring to water. The sea was a figure of violence. It was something that was considered unknown, an unknown destructive threat. And when you were on the land, you see, if there was danger, you could see it coming from a great ways off. You could see the danger coming, but when you were on the water... When you were out on the sea, danger came out of nowhere. There was never any certainty. 
Attacks could come from below at any time, or if it wasn't from below, then it was from above, because the wind, you couldn't see it, and it could come out of nowhere, and it could stir up the waves, and it become very, very dangerous. So in Hebrew poetry, the sea was a very violent, unknown, and destructive figure. And the uncertainty that we feel in life often can feel like we're out to sea. But what we're going to be seeing when we look at this passage in John, John 6, 16 through 24, is that Jesus, Jesus Christ, walks on the sea. He is Lord over the sea. He is Lord over creation. And because of that, because Jesus is Lord, we must face those fears of uncertainty. We need to have faith in uncertainty. And we need to seek so much more than just comfort from that uncertainty. Because he is Lord, we must face our fears, have faith, and seek much more than comfort. So if you would, turn with me to John 6, verses 16 through 24. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened, but he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would come and be with us during this time. Lord, that from your word that you would teach us that we would learn more about who you are, about what you have done for us, and about how we can look and trust in you. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us and that you would just bless this time mightily. Teach us from your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Sea of Galilee happens to be the lowest freshwater lake on the earth. It lies about 600 feet below sea level. And although it's called the Sea of Galilee, it's really not a sea. You'd probably call it more of a lake. I'm not actually sure why it's called the Sea of Galilee. But if you can see the picture behind me, um, it's just a big lake. It was about 33 miles around in circumference and between 7 or 12 miles across, depending on where you were measuring from. And that's the Sea of Galilee. To the east of the lake, are small mountains or hills that are about 2,000 feet above sea level. And those heights actually cause an interesting phenomenon where at the top of the hills, you have this cool, dry air, and it comes up over the top of the mountains and down to the sea level where the air is semi-tropical and very warm and moist. And when that happens, storms occur. And so the Sea of Galilee was a very stormy area where out of nowhere, winds would just rush out of those hills, those hills right there in the very pixelated picture, um, and they would hit the water, and these storms would occur. And the sea was also very shallow. It was sort of like Lake Erie. 
And so because of the shallowness and because of the wind, storms would occur often, and they were often very dangerous. And so you can see why the Sea of Galilee was considered a place of constant, unknown, and uncertain danger. And that is the place that the disciples were called to go to. Jesus asked his disciples to go to the Sea of Galilee and sail to the other end. It doesn't say it in John, but in Matthew 14 and also Mark 6, the other accounts of this story, it says that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. They didn't choose to go sailing. They were following Jesus' lead, his instructions. When we look at this passage in verse 17, we see that it was dark. And so the uncertainty of the sea was compounded by the darkness of not being able to see what was going on. And as they were traveling across the sea in verses 18 and 19, we see that a wind arose, a mighty wind. And that wind caused the storm to come up and the waves were crashing upon the boat. And all of a sudden we have the disciples and they're in this boat in the middle of this very dangerous Sea of Galilee. There's a strong wind and it's dark. And my question for you is, how do you handle uncertainty? How do you handle what is uncertain? Typically, I think that we respond to uncertainty in one of two ways. Either we try to ignore it or we try to control it. For some of us, rather than dealing with the uncertain, with the unknown, those scary, slimy, unknown things that just hide underneath the water, it's a lot easier to pretend like they just don't exist. We avoid bringing up certain conversation points or we'll just blindly say, oh, it'll all work out. It's okay. We do whatever it takes to not have to feel that, that discomfort, the discomfort of the unknown. I have a family member who discovered a while back that they had an irregular mole on their body and their doctor told them that they should go have it looked at by a specialist because it was a concern. But instead of doing that right away, this family member actually waited multiple months to go have it checked out because they were afraid. They were afraid of the unknown. They were afraid of what the answers might be. Some of us are like that. Rather than face the potential problem, rather than deal with the fear, we prefer to ignore it. On the other hand, others try to control uncertainty. They think to themselves, well, this may be uncertain for those people over there, but I can control this situation. I can take the uncertain and make it certain. I'm going to force it. I'm going to either do it by the power of my will or my intelligence or the resources that I have at hand. Whatever it is, I'm going to control the situation. I'm going to grab the bull by the horns and I'm going to conquer it. So how do you respond? How do you respond to uncertainty? Do you ignore it or do you try and control it? Well, the disciples were experienced fishermen and when they got into the boat in verse 17, they were well aware of the risks that the Sea of Galilee presented. And so they didn't ignore the situation before them. They were not ignoring it. And when the sea, when the winds and the waves picked up and all of a sudden it was beating down upon the boat, the scriptures don't say that the disciples were panicking or that they turned away or were in any way trying to ignore the situation. In Mark 6, it says that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. See, they faced the danger. They recognized that it was real, that it was true, and they didn't ignore it. They didn't try to avoid it. They went towards it to the best of their ability. Why? Because that was what Jesus had told them to do. Jesus has said, I want you to sail to the other side. And so they were following his instructions. They were following his lead. 
And when we are faced with the unknown, when we are faced with uncertain danger, we too need to continue on. We need to obey the Lord Jesus and we need to continue on in his ways and face our fears. We need to acknowledge that they are real because ignoring them, it just doesn't work. But the truth of the matter is neither does controlling it. In the midst of this struggle, as the uncertainty was upon the disciples, what were they doing? They were being courageous. They were using all of their skill and their knowledge, everything that they had learned from being fishermen, to apply themselves to this problem. In a sense, you could say that they were trying to control it. In verse 19, we see that there is a point, and there is a point when the control no longer worked. See, however much courage or skill they tried to muster, there was a point, and for them it was the point when they saw a figure, a person, walking on the waves, and when they saw that, that was their breaking point, all of a sudden, they panicked. They became very afraid, the Bible says. What is your point? What is the point that you hit when all of a sudden you're dealing with the uncertain, you're dealing with the unknown, and all of a sudden you reach this breaking point where you recognize that you can't control it, there's nothing that you can do, and you panic? Well, what we need to do when we hit that point is have faith. We need to have faith in our uncertainty. You see, the disciples were terrified because there was someone who was walking in the water And in response to that fear, a voice cries out, Jesus does. What does he say? He says, do not be afraid. And and that phrase, that command in verse 20 is the only command that Jesus gives in the entire passage. Do not be afraid. It is I. That's what Jesus tells them. Now, when Jesus says, it is I, he's actually using a Greek phrase. The the phrase is ego eimi. And that phrase is the same phrase that we have titled our John series after, I am. It can be translated, I am. And that's a unique phrase because that is the same phrase or the same name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush when Moses asked the Lord, whom shall I say sent me? God said, I am. The Greek for that, ego eimi. That's the divine name. That is the name of God. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, why did Jesus say that? What was he trying to tell us? And we have really two options. Option number one is that he was saying, I am the Lord. I am the divine name. Or we have a second option. He could have just been saying, it's me. You see, the funny thing about this phrase is that it's also the normal, the regular, the typical way of saying, it's me, sort of as if somebody knocked on the door and you said, who's there? And they responded with, oh, it's me, because you know their voice and you know exactly who they are. And so we have to make a decision, an interpretive decision as to what is this passage saying? What is this, it is I? Is he using the divine name or is he just saying, it's me? Well, I think by the context that Jesus is actually only saying, it's me. The disciples saw a figure walking on the water. They became very afraid, and Jesus was just calling out to his disciples, his beloved, the people that he cared about, his friends who knew his voice, who knew him very well. He's saying, it's me. It's okay. Don't be afraid. But at the same time, when we look through John, 
You know, it's interesting as you read the book, this phrase, it comes up again and again and again. And as we go through it, you notice that John keeps using this phrase. Jesus keeps saying, I am, I am, I am. And so while I believe that Jesus was simply saying, it's me, John is also communicating something deeper, something bigger to us, to the reader, to you guys. He's telling us that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, that he is the great I am. He is the one who can walk over the sea, over the unknown, over the uncertainty, because he is the one who created it. He is the one who is in control over all of it. Jesus is the Lord, and because of that, we can place our faith in him. When we deal with the uncertainty, when we are no longer ignoring it, when we're facing it, when we realize that we can't control it, we have to turn to him, and we have to place our faith in him. The psalmist talks about this. In Psalm 107, 23 through 32, the Israelites would sing the psalms. The psalms are basically the hymn book, the worship book for ancient Israel. And as they would gather together, they would sing these words to one another. Follow along on the screen. It says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. You see, in the midst of the uncertain sea, the Lord saves us. And when the disciples recognized who Jesus was, when they saw who it was that was coming to them, it says in verse 21 that they were glad. They were glad to bring him into the boat. Their faith in Jesus resulted in gladness. It resulted in joy and faith in Christ for you will also result in gladness and in joy. You see, the disciples, they knew that Jesus was the one who cared for them, that he was their friend and that he loved them, and now he was with them. You know, when Moses first heard the divine name, when he was there at the burning bush, he was filled with a proper, reverent fear. He heard, I am. Take off your shoes and bow low. Moses knew that he was a sinful man. And when he faced the burning purity of God, he was afraid. But because of God's love for us, as the psalm says, because of his steadfast love, and that steadfast love, that's the type of love that will never turn away. That's the kind of love that is covenantal love. Love that is committed to us regardless of how lovely we are. Love that will never grow old and love that will never fade away. Because of that kind of love, Jesus Christ went to the cross and he purified us from our sins so that when we are face to face with the burning purity of the great I am, we can find comfort. We find ourselves no longer in the storm, but on land. 
In the second part of verse 21, you see that immediately, it says immediately the boat was at land. I believe that was the second miracle that happened that day. The boat was immediately at land. Now, this story was not meant to be a parable. This is historical narrative, meaning it actually happened. But it does an awfully good job of illustrating what happens when Jesus comes into our life. See, when Jesus comes into our life, when we, by faith, put our trust in him, all of a sudden, we are home free. No longer do you have to strive against uncertainty. No longer do you have to try and control the situation or ignore the dangers out there because we know that our ultimate future, our end, is eternal life with God. We need to place our faith in that God, in Jesus Christ. Now, if this passage was all by itself, Jesus walking on water, if that was just by itself, I could end the sermon right there and call it a day. But this story actually serves as a link between two passages that deal with food. Last week, Pastor Dan talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000 from five loaves of bread and two fish. And next week, Pastor Dan is going to be talking about how Jesus is the bread of life. You see, God understands us. He gets what motivates us and what drives us. And he understands that our stomachs are great motivators. We are motivated by food. That was true back then, and it's true today. Jesus had just performed an incredible miracle. He had just satisfied the growling stomachs of 5,000 people. And so what were they doing? They were seeking after him. It says in verse 24 that the next day when the people saw that Jesus wasn't there anymore, they got into their boats and they went seeking after Jesus. But why? You know, one of our base needs... Uh, one of the uncertainties that we deal with that often will take priority over almost anything else is the question, how am I going to fill my stomach? Now, in this country, hunger is not something that a lot of us deal with. It's not a major concern because most of us are pretty certain that they're capable. You are able to acquire food. You're able to deal with the hunger that you feel. But that's not the truth everywhere. That's not how it is everywhere. And so what we have here is the crowd seeking after Jesus. They're seeking after him because they had received comfort from the uncertainty, comfort from their hunger, and so they sought him. But their reason fell short of who Jesus really was. Remember what we said, Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord of all creation. He's not just Lord of the stomach. He's Lord over all things. And that includes us. Jesus is our Lord. There's a story that was written by Elizabeth Elliot in the book, These Strange Ashes. And this story is about Jesus and his disciples. This is not a true story. It's not in the Bible. Um, but it is a really good illustration. So I'm going to share it with you. Jesus and his disciples were spending some time together. And Jesus approached his disciples and he said to them, "Okay, I am the Lord. And I love you. If you are going to follow me, then pick up a rock and come with me. And Peter, hearing those words, thought, well, you know, Jesus never really said how big of a rock I needed to pick up. So, so he went, he searched the ground, he picked up this little pebble. He said, all right, I'm going to obey Jesus and follow after him. And he stuck the, the pebble in his pocket and they continued on. And eventually it was lunchtime and Jesus said, okay, everybody sit down, sit down. He said, I want you to take out your rock. And Peter said, okay, I'm going to take out my rock. And Jesus went, boom, and he changed the rock into a piece of bread. And so there stood Peter with his little crumb 
not very happy. So he threw that down and, you know, he kind of tasted it as he gulped that sucker down. And he was like, man, I am so hungry. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, I am the Lord and I love you. If you're going to follow me, then pick up a rock and let's go. And Peter thought to himself, okay, I know what's going to happen. So he went and he found the largest boulder that he could physically lift. And he's like, man, this is going to hurt my back, but dinner is going to be so good. This is absolutely worth it. So Peter grabbed this great big boulder and he's just lugging this thing along. And evening came, and, and they came to this river, and Jesus said, Okay, guys, pull out your rocks. And Peter goes, This is it. This is the moment. And Jesus says, Throw them in the river. So Peter said, Okay. So he you know, throws it all of four feet as far as he could get into the river, and it makes this great big splash. And Jesus says, Okay, let's go. And Peter thinks to himself, Wait, what just happened? And Jesus, of course, knowing his thoughts, turned to him. And he said, why were you carrying the rock? Was it for me or was it for yourself? See, if all we are doing is seeking comfort from the slimy, scary things that are beneath the waves, then all we're doing is treating Jesus like he's this means to an end. We're trying to fill our stomachs. And if we're honest... Treating Jesus like that is not treating him as Lord. It's not treating him as the one who walks over the sea, the one who created the sea. You see, Jesus is so much more than just a means to an end. He is the creator. He is our creator, and he rules. He rules over the depths of the sea, and he rules over us. So my question for you is, what are you seeking after? Why do you come to church? Are you seeking relief from the sea, from the stormy world out there? Or are you seeking the Lord of the sea? In our worship service, if you notice, it's very intentional. It starts out with adoration, with praising God, with recognizing who he is, that he is the Lord, that he is the one who has created all things, and we praise him for that. And then we have a time of confession, we come before God and we confess that, you know what, Lord, often, all the time, I am constantly looking to you just to be a means to an end, to save me from the uncertainty, from the danger that I feel. And then we recognize that, you know what, God doesn't leave us in our sin. He came here to earth. He died. He rose again so that our sin would be upon him and not on ourselves. And we, we have our assurance, the assurance that God has done that for us, that he has saved us. And then in response to that, we give thanks. You know, when Jesus got into the boat, he didn't suddenly make the Sea of Galilee dry up. He didn't flatten out the mountains so that the storms wouldn't come anymore. No, the Sea of Galilee is still an uncertain and dangerous place. But what did he say? He said, do not be afraid. We are going to continue to face uncertainties in this life. They are going to happen. And when they do, you need to face them. You shouldn't ignore them. You need to turn to Jesus Christ, the Lord over the sea, and place your faith in him. 
And you need to recognize him as Lord and submit to him as Lord. He is the one who rules over all creation. And he comes to us. He comes to us, his friends, and he says, it's me. Don't worry. I love you. There are a lot of things out there that are unknown to us, but not to God. God knows it all. He knows the plan. He knows where things are going. And he says it's a really, really good place. He's never taken by surprise. And if we believe in that, then we need not fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that this world is filled of bumps, detours, forks in the road, hardships, challenges. God, sometimes those things are scary because we don't know what's going to happen, but you do. And you have commanded us not to be afraid, but to trust in you, to have faith in you. So, Lord, I ask that we would place our faith in the Lord who walks on the water, who walks over the sea, for whom uncertainty does not exist. And I ask for everyone in here that we would be able to find peace in that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.